Good morning. Our reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, Abiod, yeah, Abiod, and Abiod the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. You want to clap for her, don't you? Go ahead, go ahead, Trish, awesome. Thank you, Trish. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you that you are present with us, that this genealogy represents a living history, that you are the God of the living, not the dead, that you are the God who loves us enough to work through this history, work through this people to bring us your salvation in Jesus. And Father, we need Jesus this morning. All of us in this room, we have that in common, that every one of us at this moment need your love. We need your grace. We need your presence with us, Christ. So would you be present in this, your word? Would you be present with us by your spirit? Would you be present with us at your table? Would you be present for us? And we will give you the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you right now are asking the question, why? Now, you're too polite to ask it out loud, but in your heart, you're asking, why did you put Trish through that? Why are we reading this genealogy? Why are we going to reflect upon this genealogy? Of all the passages that we could end the year with, why this one? And I do have a few answers for you. Now, the first is this, because it's God's Word. 
because it's his holy scripture. And as a friend of mine says, it's absolutely true, and he gives it to us always because he loves us. And so for some reason, he's given us this passage, and we have to honor that and respect that. Now, we're reading this passage because it's in the Bible, and it's at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And for the next coming months, we're going to be spending our time in the Gospel of Matthew, and so it's here, and it keeps us honest to not skip over passages, right? Because if we begin skipping passages that seem strange or archaic or challenging, we end up just reading the passages that resonate and reflect with us, and then we're missing the richness of what God has for us. We're starting in this genealogy because Matthew starts here, right? When you pick up a novel or any book, I hope, you start at page one. I actually have a friend who goes and reads the last page of every novel before they start the beginning, and it drives me insane that there's somebody in this world that does that. Like, why would you do that? You start at the beginning and then let it go from there. This is the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and so we're going to study it together. But maybe that raises another why question. Why did Matthew start here? Why did he start with this genealogy and this list of names of Jesus? And maybe we could say that Matthew's just not a very good writer. And I think as you'll come to see as we work our way through this gospel, that that's not the case at all. Matthew's actually quite a brilliant writer. Maybe Matthew has a morbid sense of humor, and he was anticipating just such a scene as this, you trying to stay awake while Trish tries to read through this list of names, which she did so, so well. I don't think that's it either. Matthew has a goal in mind. He's giving you and giving me, he's giving us this gospel of Jesus. And it's not just a history of Jesus. It's a gospel. He wants to convince us. He wants to invite us into this reality of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. In a word, Matthew wants to introduce us to Jesus in this genealogy, in his entire gospel, so that we can spend the rest of our lives uncovering just who Jesus is and also who we are in him. See, I think Matthew's purpose in this genealogy is quite simply to introduce us to Jesus and at the same time, because if by faith we are united to Jesus, Matthew's going to introduce us to ourselves, invite us to find our story in Jesus' story, our history in his history, our family in his family. Matthew's on to something. He recognizes what I think you know intuitively deep down is that we are who we are because of who we came from. Right? We are who we are because of who we came from. The family that we belong to shapes us profoundly. Kids, did any of you get to celebrate Christmas at your grandmother or grandfather's house? Anybody? Did anybody get to celebrate Christmas at their great-grandmother or great-grandfather's house? Right? When you're in that house, do you ever notice the pictures that are on the wall and that are on the tabletops? There's often all sorts of older pictures, and sometimes you might even find a picture of your dad or your mom when they were a kid, and you see them with your grandmother or grandfather when they were a younger version of themselves. And maybe you even see your great-grandmother or your great-grandfather when they were a kid, and maybe they're sitting on a horse or some strange scene. 
and you ask your grandparents about what life was like then and about who they are, it's because maybe you don't realize it, but what you're doing is you're learning more about yourself as you learn more about them. Those of you who are getting older and maybe you're in your early 30s and 40s and this is starting to happen to you, you wave at somebody or you laugh or you say hello and you do it in a way that you have this epiphany of, oh my goodness, that was my dad. Like that little mannerism was completely my dad or completely my mom. And at first, particularly in your young 30s, you're a little mortified. Like, I am not becoming my dad. I am not becoming my mom. But then as you reflect upon it a little bit, you're actually encouraged and even delighted. For those of us who are privileged to have parents who we can recognize it's a good thing that we are shaped by them. The same is true for Jesus. If we want to know who Jesus is, Matthew says, we need to know Jesus' family. And so he begins to introduce us. So just two questions this morning for those of you who need to follow along and have racks to hang your hat on as you follow along. Who is Jesus and who am I in Jesus? Who is Jesus and who am I in Jesus. Matthew's going to introduce us. Sometimes when we start a reading through the Bible plan, we start in the New Testament, and Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and so sometimes we start with this genealogy, and then sometimes if we've read through the New Testament before, we come to Matthew again, and then we just kind of skip over the genealogy a little bit because it seems like just the easy thing to do, and maybe there's not much here. And I would encourage you this morning, friends, there is a treasure trove of information about who Jesus is just in this genealogy. Has anybody ever had the Ben and Jerry's ice cream, everything but the, right? It's the everything but the kitchen sink ice cream. And so every flavor you could possibly imagine, they just threw into this one pint of ice cream. And this genealogy is a little bit like that for who Jesus is. Matthew just takes everything he can think of, and he crams it in this genealogy, just so as you start this gospel, you get a taste. And so the challenge this morning is we're going to be tempted to go deep on each of these different facets of who Jesus is. And what Matthew's inviting us to do is just get a little taste this morning to keep us going, to keep us coming back to Jesus again and again and again to go deeper and to go richer. But for this morning, just a taste, and you'll see why in a moment. Because let's begin with verse 1, and let's learn about who Matthew introduces us to as he introduces us to Jesus. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We can start there. Matthew introduces us to Jesus who has a genealogy, right? Which reminds us that when God decided to bring his salvation to bear in our lives, in our world, in our history. He did it as a person. He did it as a historical person. Jesus was born into our world as a human being with a family, with a history. And this means, friends, that Jesus is not a myth. It means that he is not an allegory. It means that he is not an inspired idea of what humanity could be at our best moment. 
Jesus is real. And Christianity hinges on this fact that God was born into our history and lived and died and was raised as an actual person in history. It happened. And that's where Matthew begins. Jesus has a genealogy. He's real. He has a genealogy which reminds us of something even a little bit deeper. The word genealogy is the same word translated Genesis. And this is no accident. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is, in a sense, the true beginning of everything. The deepest beginning in history was not the birth of the world, but the birth of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the fresh start that the entire cosmos was desperately in need of. He has a genealogy, he has a beginning, and he is the beginning. And we're just on word one of verse one. The genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus has a name, and we take that for granted, maybe, but Jesus has a human name. It's the Greek translation of the word that means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. He has a name, and it's not an extraordinary name. I just read as I was preparing that archaeologists have discovered that around the time of Jesus' life and death, they have found 71 graves marked Yeshua. Jesus wasn't the first name like Pele or Prince, this famous, infamous name. Jesus was a name like John or Joe. And yet the name also means Yahweh saves. And so Matthew is cluing us into this paradox, this mystery, that on the one hand, Jesus came as one of us. He came into the world to save us from our sorrows by owning and living our sorrows as one of us. And yet at the same time, He is the transcendent, majestic one who comes and will save all things. He's Jesus. And he's Jesus Christ. And kids, maybe you've heard a Sunday school teacher tell you this. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not even a nickname for Jesus so much as a job description. The Christ means the anointed one. And every first century Jewish reader would have known that the anointed one refers to the Messiah, the long-promised one who would come and finally right all the wrongs, whether they were our fault or somebody else's. Jesus is the one, I mentioned this last week, in the words of Sam Ganji from The Lord of the Rings, who has come to make everything sad come untrue. That's the job of the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. And friends, we're still in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. David was the most famous king of God's Old Testament people. He was the king who every other king was compared to. He wasn't a perfect king, but he was the marker of what a king was supposed to be. And Jesus is the son of David. 
He comes from the line of David. But God made a promise to David before David died so many centuries ago. He said, one of your sons will sit on the throne and they will sit on the throne forever. It was this provocative and mysterious promise. And so what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is a king. He's a king in the line of David, the best king, but he's actually a king who is greater than his father, David. And he's a king who will sit on the throne of the world forever. He's the forever king. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. If you've been at Grace and Peace for, oh, a week or two, you've probably heard me talk about God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. When God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and through you and your relationship with me, the entire world will be blessed. And so here, just in this one sentence, Matthew is inviting us to reflect upon Jesus as the forever king and the king for everything and for everyone. Jesus has a genealogy. He is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we just finished verse 1. Friends, Matthew is inviting us to explore the riches of who Jesus is as we begin to taste the flavors, as we begin to peel back the layers. It's so tempting to dive deeper into each one of these aspects and facets of who Jesus is. Uh, It was probably three or four Christmases ago now that the movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out. Kids, any of you seen that movie? It's in the Harry Potter line. Uh, And the protagonist, Newt, has a bunch of magical creatures, and he's the creature keeper. And one gets loose in New York City. And so he has to come, and he has to catch this creature. And he comes with this suitcase, this handbag. Do you remember this? And at some point in the movie, he kind of steps into the bag, and he's no longer in New York City. He's in this expansive, magical world filled with all these creatures. And it's such a beautiful, rich image. And friends, that's what it is with this genealogy. Every facet of who Jesus is, we could crawl into the suitcase and we could stand up and find ourselves in this enormous, magical expanse of wonder and richness, something that could be explored for days, for weeks, for a whole sermon series, for a whole lifetime. And I think that's what Matthew wants us to feel. He wants us to scratch the surface, to get a taste, and to want to go deeper together. Let's do that for just a few more minutes this morning. Let's move from verse 1 to verse 17, the last verse. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. For some reason, Matthew has curated his list into three sets of 14. He's picking and choosing for a reason. He doesn't give a complete genealogy. He skipped over some. 
He's got a few in a different order, and he does it all for a reason, because he wants to introduce us to Jesus. And so we ought to pay attention when he uses this stylized format of three sets of 14. We could also think of it as six sets of seven. And seven in the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures is always a special number. Think of the Sabbath day on the seventh day, right, when God created the world. And on the seventh day, he rests. The seventh day represents completion. It represents fullness and a culmination or a finality. And so Jesus is the seventh seven in this list. And what Matthew wants us to see is even the structure of the genealogy is telling us something important about who he is. He is the fullness and the culmination of everything that has gone before and the foundation of everything that will come hence from him. Jesus stands at the center. Reminds me of the Seinfeld episode when Kramer, and they all live on the Upper East Side of New York, and Kramer gets lost in southern Manhattan because he never goes down there. And so he's wandering around, and he looks up at the street sign, and he sees that he's on the intersection of First Street and First Avenue. And he exclaims, I'm at the center of the universe. Jesus actually stands at the center of the universe. He is the culmination of all things. Well, how about verse 2? We'll actually kind of take the rest of the passage together and draw some conclusions and some reflections out of them rather than going verse by verse, just for the sake of time. In these genealogical verses, in these lists of names, we see that Jesus is the Lord for everybody. He's a king, right? The son of David. He's the king for everybody. There are names in this list that you just wouldn't expect to find in an ancient genealogy. Some of these names are names of women, names of mothers, and they certainly wouldn't have been found in ancient genealogies. It just wasn't the custom of the day, and yet there they are. And if you go back to the Old Testament and you read the stories that include these women, you'll find that they're involved in interesting, unique, and sometimes awful circumstances, often not of their own making. You'll also find that each of these women in this list, except for Mary at the end, are foreigners to the nation of Israel. None of that is by accident. Matthew is including these women in the list to tell us that Jesus is the king for everyone, particularly for the outsiders particularly for those who we think don't belong in a list like this, don't belong in a people like this, don't belong in a kingdom like his. And yet they do, and here they are. This list of people reminds us that Jesus is Lord for everybody, and it also reminds us that Jesus is Lord for nobodies. There are some names on this list that you would have to be an incredibly wonky Bible nerd to know. It's just true. Matin. Anybody know who Matin is? I don't know who Matin is. Right? And these are the kings. And yet, in one sense, they're just an every person or a no person. And each name on this list represents a whole host of people who were living at the time, people who have gone unnoticed in history, 
maybe unnoticed by their neighbors, but not unnoticed by their king. Jesus is the king for everybody. He's the king for nobodies. Jesus is the savior of sinners. This list is a famous list, and it's an infamous list. There are some good kings in this list. There are some atrocious kings in this list. And then there are some good kings who have done atrocious things and some atrocious kings who have done a few good things. But the composite is, if you dig deep on any one of these kings, that Jesus had to come as the final king because he's a king for sinners. And that's each and every person on this list. And if we're honest, that's each and every person in this room. Jesus came from... And Jesus came for those of us who don't have it all together. And that's a good, good thing. This genealogy is not just a history. It is gospel. This is good news for those who need a Savior. Jesus came as the Lord for everybody. He came as the Lord for nobodies. He came as a Savior of sinners. And he came as a Savior who surprises. Again, If you look at this list, there are just oddities that invite you to consider why is God doing his salvation the way he did it? Why did he come into our history born as a baby? Don't let the familiarity of the Christmas story dull you to the reality that that is a very, very strange way for the all-powerful God of the universe to come into our lives and into our mess. Born an utterly, completely helpless baby. Who does that? God does that. And it should clue us into this reality. God is going to save, and he's going to save in ways that will surprise you. And that's a good thing as well. That's who Jesus is. Just a little scratching of the service. Just a little taste of the everything but the kitchen sink of Jesus' family that invites us to go deeper. Friends, if your faith is in Jesus, you are united to him, and his story is your story, and his family is your family. And so let's finish our time this morning asking the question, If Matthew teaches us a little bit about who Jesus is, what is he trying to teach us about who we are in this story? And I would say the first thing is, we are people who are in desperate need to know our family better. We're in desperate need to know our family and our story and our history better than we do now. And that goes for you if you have no idea who Jesus is beyond the leader of this Christianity thing. And somebody invited you to church at the end of the year. It goes for you if you've been a Jesus scholar and lover and studier and disciple for your entire life. Either way, we need to know the history better. There's so much there for us to explore. And that's my invitation for you. Come back. Be with us on Sunday morning at Grace and Peace as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And discover Jesus again with fresh eyes and fresh hearts and dig deeper 
into these realities. Learn about who he is. Sam prayed that we would be a people that read our Bible every day. Not just because it's a Christian checkbox to get off your list in 2020, but because in these pages is the history and the story of who Jesus is and who we are. Learn about him and then reflect upon him and the implications for our own lives together. I came across a lengthy quote from Bono, the lead singer of U2. I want to read it because he models just this kind of invitation. And he said, I remember coming back from a very long tour on Christmas Eve, and I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it had dawned on me before, but it really sank in in that moment, this Christmas story. The idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that he would seek to explain himself is amazing enough, and that he would do it and describe himself by becoming a child born in straw poverty, a child, I just thought, wow, just the poetry of it, unknowable love, unknowable power, describes itself as the most vulnerable, and there it was. I was sitting there, and tears came down my face, and I saw the genius of this, utter genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. Love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, Bono said, it makes sense. It's logical. It's pure logical. Essence has to make itself known. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. And I don't know if Bono got every bit of his reflection right theologically, but the point is, he was reflecting. Right? He was having a moment in which he went deeper and contemplated this mystery of who Jesus is, who Jesus is for him, who Jesus is for the world. Finish your 2019 with some moments of that kind of reflection. Anticipate your 2020 with moments of these kinds of reflection of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one who has come to right all wrongs. Have you thought for a moment in our world, just pick one, just pick one of the wrongs, the opioid epidemic. If Jesus righted that wrong utterly and completely, what would change? everything would change. What if Jesus is the Messiah who has come to right every wrong and he promises to do it? He is Yeshua, our God saves, our God saves by becoming one of us. Have you reflected in your hurts and in your struggles upon the fact that Jesus came not just to deliver us from suffering, but to do it by coming into the midst of our suffering? Would that change the way you engage the challenging circumstances in your life? If you had a deep and fresh reflection upon Jesus as Jesus, we could do that with any aspect of these realities of who Jesus is. I invite you to do that on your own. I invite you to do that in a parish group. I invite you to do that in the women's Bible studies. I invite you to do that in the men's Monday breakfast. Those of you who are going back to California, I invite you to do that. 
with your church there. Reflect upon Jesus, who Jesus is, because we're a people who desperately need to know him better. Let me end with an encouragement. We also learn if we belong to Jesus, we belong in this list. It means that we also are included. If Jesus is Lord for everybody, he is Lord for you. If he is Lord for nobodies, he is Lord for you. And don't take offense at that. Like Kramer, we think sometimes we live at the center of the universe, and we don't. He does. And that's a good thing because he's inviting us in. He is a savior of sinners. That can be a challenging thing to recognize that we need him, but it can be a liberating reality as well to know that this isn't a list of the who's who. This is a list of everybody. Everybody, that is, who is willing to recognize that they need a Savior to come. And so this is you. You are a sinner saved by grace. You're invited to be a part of grace and peace because this is a church filled with people, none of whom have it all together. But Jesus does, and we're seeking to know and to follow him. Finally, last word. If your faith is in Jesus and this is your genealogy, then it means that you are an ordinary person who is invited to do extraordinary things with him. Let me say that again. You are an ordinary person invited to do extraordinary things with him. Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace, but you are also chosen to be a part of the work that God is doing. Just like this list, just like Jesus' great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers, you too have some role to play, and he's going to enable you to do it. I pray that you would be encouraged as you take some time to reflect on who Jesus is and who you are in him. Let's pray together. Thank you for this list of your forebears, Christ. And thank you that in this list, we actually find you. We find in your word, your very presence. And so would you be with us as we leave this place? Would you be with us as we come to this table, as we take you in, in our thoughts and in our hearts, and we try to live you out in our actions of love for our neighbors. Would you be with us, we pray, in your precious name. Amen.